Hello and welcome to episode seven of the Funds Fan podcast, brought to you by Interactive Investor in conjunction with Money Observer and MoneyWise magazines. I'm Kyle Caldwell, Deputy Editor of Money Observer. Today we have a special guest in the podcast, and that is Bruce Jenkins Jones, who is co-manager of the Impacts Environmental Markets Investment Trust. Faith Glasgow, the editor of Money Observer, carried out the interview with Bruce last week. Among other things, she asked him why it is that environmentally focused funds tend to hold up relatively well during the recent market dislocation and whether he believes the pandemic could have more lasting implications for the global environment and climate change. But before we get to the interview, Faith and I are going to run through the latest news and developments that concern fund investors. I think the most prominent news item for many investors will be the dividend drought that has started to emerge over the past couple of weeks. Various firms have announced dividend cuts or suspensions which have either already taken effect or will do so in the coming months. The banks, which have historically been one of the big income sectors, have all announced dividend freezes following talks with the Bank of England. The dividend suspensions were made in order for banks to be better placed to support the economy during the current climate. So Faith, how big is the dividend drought predicted to be in the UK market? Pretty big. In in general terms, as of the 5th of April, 45% of UK companies have scrapped payments. And that's amounting to a total of £23.8 billion. That takes effect between the second and the fourth quarter of this year. Link, the organisation supplying this data, estimates that a further £23.9 billion is at risk of being cancelled or cut in the uh, near future. In the best case scenario, Link estimates that dividend payments will decline by around 27% for this year, which will amount to total payments of around £72 billion. But the worst case scenario is for a decline of 51%, they're saying, which would mean that payments of only £48 billion were made to shareholders this year. So that is a massive drop and it could have very serious implications for a lot of income seekers. We'll just have to watch this space and see how things develop. Another point to add is that before coronavirus even existed, profits have been declining for UK companies since last summer and were already in an earnings recession. So it was already looking like it was going to be a challenging year for UK fund managers that have an income focus. So what does this mean for investors? Well, in terms of funds and investment trusts, it is investment trusts that look better placed to weather this dividend storm. The thing that investment trusts have is a structural advantage, and that is that they are allowed to hold back up to 15% of the dividends that they receive from their underlying investments each year. So they can put it by as a reserve for the years when dividends are harder to come by. Open-ended funds can't do this. So this means that some trusts with an income bent may be in a position to pay out dividends at current level that they're paying them for possibly for a year or for more even just from the reserves that they built up. One example is that of Scottish Investment Trust run by Alistair McKinnon, which he told me recently has three years of dividend cover. That means that it, it, the, the trust could continue to pay its years even if it doesn't get any income at all from its underlying investments. A recent report from the investment company's team at Investec, which highlighted that UK equity income trusts are in a healthy position to maintain or increase dividends 
Carl, you covered that story. How did they come to that conclusion? Investec Securities looked at 17 UK equity income investment trusts, although there are 24 in the sector as a whole, but it, it chose to just look at 17. And they found that all of these 17 trusts would be able to endure a 30% fall in dividend income from their underlying holdings over the next year and still pay a progressive dividend. It modelled a 3% rise in the dividend. And the 30% figure was used because this is the dividend decline that at the time, which was um, in mid-March um, when this report came out, that was the dividend decline that was being priced in by the futures market. Of course, while no one can preempt the decisions that will be made by investment trust boards as to whether to cut maintain or increase the dividend payments. The good news is that, as the report shows, is that UK equity income trusts are in a healthy position to to continue to um, satisfy income-hungry shareholders. As well as having the, uh, the dividend reserves, another advantage of the investment trust structure is the, as I've just mentioned, the having the independent board of directors. It's their job and duty to um, act in the best interests of shareholders, including having a, a big say on whether the um, dividend will be increased or not. They also have the ability to fire a fund manager and also the full management group if performance is not up to scratch. Of late, we've seen a number of firings, and the most recent of which took place earlier this month, which was uh, Mark Barnett being relieved of his duties of managing the Perpetual Income and Growth Investment Trust. The trust has underperformed peers and the wider stock market over various timeframes. Ultimately, the board lost patience and has now begun, begun the process of looking for a new manager. Barnett had for some time had a large exposure to UK domestic stock. It was a position that ultimately failed to pay off. And also in December, he was um, sacked from another investment trust, which was the Edinburgh Investment Trust. Moving on to the final news item, which concerns Terry Smith, the staff fund manager of the Fundsmith Equity Fund, penned a letter to shareholders at the end of March and gave his thoughts on the steep market sell-off. And he made some interesting observations, didn't he, Faith? What was uh, said? I think Terry Smith always likes to um, take any opportunity to remind his shareholders of what a, a sensible move they made, jumping on board with him. And I mean, in this case, well, in most cases, I have to say, uh, it, it reasonably justified. Fundsmith Equity has done terribly well in relative terms over the last few weeks. From the start of 2020 to the end of March, the fund declined by 7.9%. The average for the global sector, the home of Smith Equity, was a decline of 15.4%. The MSCI World Index was down by 157 and the FTSE 100 was down by almost 24%. So clearly, Smith Equity did pretty well to manage such a single-digit decline. Smith made the point that while the indices hold the same high-quality stocks as he does, in his fund, the indices were pulled down by the stocks that Fundsmith Equity doesn't own. So Smith's approach has always been to to stick to high quality global companies that, as he puts it, have already won. There has been some concern recently uh, or recent years that the fund might suffer in the event of a rotation away in the markets from these high quality growth stocks towards cheaper value-oriented stocks. But in the event, this approach that he's taken has been vindicated and he's understandably really enjoying letting his investors know about it. He does point out in the letter also that it's it's a, it's a questionable argument that value stocks could protect you in a downturn, which was, you know, a point being made by other commentators. 
as he as he puts it, shares in companies that are lowly rated are mostly lowly rated for very good reasons because, for example, the businesses are high, highly cyclical or they have um, very much leveraged or they face other structural or management problems. It really doesn't sound like a combination likely to protect the business and your investment in difficult times. He's got a point there. Yeah, he certainly does. Yeah. And, but while quality stocks have undoubtedly paid off in the market sell-off, there's um, it's obviously more than one way to invest in quality companies. And ESG and environmental funds also tended to come out ahead of the pack during the market sell-offs. Let's now turn to the interview that Faith carried out with Bruce Jenkins-Jones of Impacts Asset Management to find out more about that. First, Bruce, could you give us a bit of background information about the trust and what it invests in? Yes, certainly. Yeah, the Impacts Environmental Markets Investment Trust was launched back in 2002, so over 18 years ago. And the objective was really to invest in global equities with pure play exposure to what we call environmental markets. So what are environmental markets? Well, they're basically businesses that help to use resources more efficiently or mitigate environmental challenges. Those are the key definitions that we have. The key challenges that these sort of companies are addressing would be things like poor air quality, food waste, water shortages, water pollution, soil degradation, plastics, waste, and obviously climate change. And we invest in solutions to those challenges, which are things like electric vehicles, biofertilizers, biodegradable plastics, organic and natural foods, smart meters, ground source heat pumps, and, and, and obviously renewable energy. So a pretty broad, diversified range of companies providing solutions to environmental problems. Why is this area of the whole investment universe apparently resilient to to market volatility would you say the trust is on a uh, currently on a premium despite all the mayhem of the markets recently are the stocks that you're holding particularly robust or or defensive in nature or is it something else well i think if you if you look at the the long-term drivers of what I was just describing, you know, more people, mm. greater wealth, putting a lot of pressure on building out of infrastructure, mitigating resource challenges, solving environmental problems. These issues have only got stronger over the last 18 years. So in that sense, the long term growth in these markets has really been coming through and the companies in the portfolio have been pretty effective at translating that into strong earnings growth, which has led to good performance in the in the underlying uh, shares. So I think you know there's certainly um, you know just, 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 there's there's long-term growth opportunity, and there are many companies in the portfolio that are pretty robust and pretty defensive, um, and have quite a lot of recurring revenue. So there is a certain amount of resilience, um, but just by the nature and the long-term secular growth opportunity of what we're talking about. So plenty of, bus- of defensive business models. However, I think it is it would be misleading for investors to feel that this was totally defensive. Uh, There is unavoidable cyclical end market exposure. And in this period of volatility, we have, you know, had exposure to the construction sector, which is clearly slowed down, and certainly the automotive sector, which has also been in a bit of a down cycle. So there is inevitable cyclical exposure. But I think, you know, in terms of of the resilience, it is because people are seeing the long term secular opportunity of, you know, responding to these resource and environmental challenges. 
And so it's not purely just a matter of avoiding avoiding oil stocks, which have been um, very, very, very hard hit over recent weeks. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, the, 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 you know, funds like Impact's Environmental Markets do have structural biases. And one of them is that we don't own oil stocks, which have been particularly weak. We also don't own um, financial stocks, which have also been quite weak. So that's certainly been helping us. But on the other hand, you know, a fund like this doesn't really have any health care, which has been very strong. And also it is overweight smaller companies because of the you know, the stage of development of environmental markets. So that's been a headwind. So you know, overall, I think it's not there, there are a number, if you like, factor risks. The key really is how the underlying stocks effectively translate you know, the growth opportunity into uh, in, into earnings growth. Right. OK. More generally, Bruce, do you think that when this pandemic is behind us, there may be step changes in in terms of environmental practices or trends in the market for better or worse that 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 you know that are really quite significant yeah i th- i think so i mean i think that you know that clearly this pandemic is an example of a significant structural shock to the global economy mm. uh, which has happened very rapidly and there's in some ways a um a, a, an interesting parallel but different with climate change which is sort of occurring over a sort of very slow period so as we start to realize some of the fundamental risks that the global economy faces that is is definitely something that people will start to wake up to in the shorter term actually the pandemic to some extent has detracted the focus from environmental policy and mm. you'll probably be aware that the cop 26 it's where all the global governments come together to make long-term climate policy has actually been delayed into 2021 so in the shorter term i think um you know, the pandemic has actually had a little bit of a detraction of focus but in the longer term exactly as you suggest we really believe that this crisis will really start to enhance the focus on some of the these areas where there is a bit of a dovetail between environmental markets and you know, pandemic and safety challenges, particularly in the food supply chain around food safety. I think there'll be increased prioritization of clean water, clean air, things like testing, monitoring, very much part of our universe, as well as reliable supplies of electricity, efficient software solutions in in key markets like construction, agriculture and utilities. So, yeah, certainly I think long term, if you like, the transition to a more sustainable economy will come increasingly a, a priority for consumers and governments. So, so in a funny sort of way, the pandemic actually may be almost a good thing for the climate, for the environment as a whole. Potentially. I mean, I think, you know, we're all we're all working out exactly what this means for us. But I, I think yeah. the recognition that, you know, long term growth can go on unin, unimpeded without considering other implications around health, safety and environment. I think this, this certainly will wake us all up to these challenges and you know, potentially what you find in a portfolio like Impacts Environmental Markets is a number of, of potential solutions that will have a bigger part to play in the long term global economy. And I suppose the portfolio may find itself shifting in, in, in years, well, months to come as a consequence of what's been happening and the, and the changes that have occurred within society and, and the economy, the world economy. Yeah, I'm p- 
Potentially. I mean, we always, the, the core thesis around Impact's environmental markets is looking for businesses that help use resources more efficiently and solve environmental problems. That's the headline thesis. Where we are able to deploy capital to deliver, deliver superior returns has definitely evolved and continues to develop you know, over the last 18 years. And as you suggest, you know, we'll continue to throw up new opportunities uh, out into the future. And this pandemic will certainly, you know, provide shifts that we need to be on top of and identify emerging trends. There seemed to be a, a marked increase in interest in the environment, in environmental investment opportunities as well um, over the last, I suppose, couple of years. And I just wondered if you could pinpoint any specific factors or influences that you would say really kind of underpin that 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 step change i mean for example the emergence of greta thunberg or the extinction rebellion movement somehow something kind of it felt to me as though something changed over these last couple of years and i just wondered if you had any thoughts on that yeah i think uh, it has been a confluence of developments, if you like, a confluence of drivers. Certainly, um, consumers have um, changed, are changing their priorities, whether it's around healthy eating or more concern mm -hmm. about climate change. Governments are, are responding to that, recognising the challenges, whether it's air quality or plastics issues. So all these things, have, if you like, have, have come together uh, to mm -hmm. uh, raise awareness, social consumer government and that has definitely risen uh, in awareness and things like Greta Thunberg and Extinction Rebellion are to some extent a reflection of that but I think there wouldn't have been the focus on the investment side if the companies active in providing solutions and the companies with strong ESG hadn't delivered in terms of performance and I yeah. think you know it's not just in, in case of environmental markets broadly these funds have delivered good performance and that's really what's woken people up alongside the increased awareness more generally. So as you say, there's a lot of things going on, but to pinpoint any single one thing I think would be difficult, but there's definitely been a lot of changes. For the final part of the podcast, I am joined by Dmitry Lipsky, Head of Fund Research at Interactive Investor. It has been a first quarter investors will want to forget and put behind them. Can you give listeners a quick summary of how funds in Interactive Investor's Super 60 list fared over the period? The, the recent market sell-off actually demonstrated that our strong selection uh, of rationale of funds overall, as most of our rated funds uh, from Super 60 list showed better numbers relative to their peers. This is the uh, performance for the quarter, but given the market volatility and the speed of market developments as well, worth to mention that some of the markets already recovered some of their losses since mid-March. Some of our rated funds that were negative for the quarter start to show positive returns in April. The longer term performance numbers continue to stack up. Absolutely, absolutely. So I've, I've got some numbers for you here. So 60% of active funds on, on the list are in the first and second quartile versus the peers over the three years to the end of March. I think this number uh, emphasizes how, uh, how important is fund selection and actually picking the winners against the losers, especially in such a stress market uh, environment. 
Obviously, investing, of course, is a it's a long term process. Many financial advisors advocate that investors should invest for five years as a minimum time frame. Obviously, a three month period is a very short period to look at. But given everything that's been going on, what were the highlights and lowlights in respect to the funds that are in Interactive Investors Super 60 list? Well, within equities funds, growth oriented uh, funds with a bias to quality defensive stocks outperform the peers. So, for example, we had a, um, a strong relative performance from a, a Super 60 funds such as Linsol Train, UK and Japanese equities, Fundsmith and Fidelity Global Dividends. In contrast, uh, funds with a bias to more cyclical sectors such as banks, retail, airlines were hit most. As a result, so some of our uh, rated choices such as uh, River McIntyre, UK Recovery Funds, Rhoda's Income Fund, Mangel G. UK income funds haven't done so well, I guess, relative to the market. Funds with a bias to more smaller companies also suffered. Some of our rated choices uh, within this area hasn't done very well. But again, they have recovered somewhat in, in April. And I, I meant this is more sort of emerging market smaller companies funds and UK smaller companies' uh, funds. In respect of bond funds, have they, on the whole, during the sell-off today, as you would expect, hold up better than equity funds? A slightly mixed picture. Again, we would probably expect much better performance overall, given sort of risk-off uh, environment. But again, interestingly, that more defensively positioned funds with larger allocation to government bonds and longer duration funds actually led the park. One of the best performing funds for the quarter was M&G Global Macro Bond Fund. In contrast, funds with sort of more cyclical exposure to uh, to high yield and shorter duration funds are suffered suffered, I guess, um, to, to some extent and and delivered negative returns. So, for example, Royal London Sterling Extra Yield Bond Fund, which has a, a, a some sort of larger exposure to a high yield bonds. And moving on to investment trusts, discounts widened across the board during the sell-off. Given that markets over the past couple of weeks have been less volatile, as you mentioned earlier, have discounts narrowed? Investment trust discounts widened significantly at sort of uh, uh, sometime mid-March when we had the sort of almost markets were sell-off significantly. We've seen the levels uh, similar to uh, global financial crisis, but again, they, they started stabilized over the last few weeks i think the good example is bmo commercial property the discount widens as as, as to the levels of around 60 percent and now it's down to around 35 percent and that sort of volatility you would expect with closed-ended funds and especially for the for this asset class a liquid asset class so for example for property where some open-ended funds had to suspend the dealing even pre pre the um, sell-off if you are prepared a, um, to pay for such a volatility, you would be considering the closed-ended structure, I guess. That's, that's, that's your price for, for, for liquidity. Uh, we also have to understand the amount of stimulus has been put into the markets. 
from central banks across the world as well from the government and and from the us and uk overall the i guess the sentiment from the fund managers is cautiously optimistic the expectations that the current crisis will be resolved in the medium i guess short to medium term and we will see some sort of broad-based recovery. Thanks for that, Dimitri. Before we go, if you do have a fund-related question that you would like answered in the podcast, then please get in touch. You can do so by emailing editorial at ii.co.uk and put funds fan podcast in the subject line of the email so we can find it easily. We'll be back towards the end of April. Until then, goodbye and stay safe. <laughs>